This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast that's kind of like the human centipede. We feed you tasty treats. That's right. This is the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies bring you bite-sized chunks. Oh no, of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. Shit posts? No, no memes. Yeah, yeah. Memes? Yes, memes. <clears throat> uh, my name is Zachary Snack, and with me, as always, is friend, confidant, and member of my inner sanctum, Noon. It's me. I'm Noon. I just said my own name, kind of like a Pokemon. Noon! Noon! <laughs> um, noon used scat humor. It was not very effective. Yeah. Uh, so, I- Zach came up with CFME human centipede, and we had to come up with a joke at the start of the show, so our apologies. Uh, if you've already turned off the episode, fair enough. Yeah, no complaints. Um, how you doing, Noon? Yeah, pretty good today, actually. Yeah, yeah. Had a nice restive, not restive. Have you a nice resting week? Relaxing. Uh, it's it's been not busy, but not relaxing. Uh, mm. there's, there's turmoil yeah. in the streets and of the streets below them. Yeah, and below right. them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get into the various uh, kooky shit that's been happening this week uh, in a minute. But uh, first off, I wanted to send a big shout out to our new patron, Nathan. Thank you very much, Nathan. If you, like Nathan, want to become a supporter of the show, you can do so over on patreon.com slash ozpulsnackpod. As little as $1 a month gets you a monthly bonus episode, plus other cool stuff. Also, we didn't get any new reviews this week, and we love reviews. So maybe go over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a little five-star. It's much cheaper than the $1 a month for patrons. It's a cheaper option. Yeah. It's a cheaper option. So it's out there. It's available. But no, why don't we get into our aperitifs? Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no. Take it away at once. Yeah, so these are the stories that we're not, like, going to go into properly. Um, First up, Christian Porter has resigned from the ministry after the, uh, you know, million dollar donation bullshit that we discussed last week Mm. um here's a quote from independent australia porter who in 2017 waxed lyrical about the dangers and impropriety of accepting political donations to fund personal legal bills has now accepted (laughs) political donations for personal legal bills (laughs) unlike in 2017 however when porter and scott morrison and others were talking about sam destiari's approximate five thousand dollar legal bill being paid by a chinese businessman Porter accepted approximately $1 million for his own personal legal bill from a person or persons unknown. And nationality you know, unknown. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I hadn't quite... I hadn't made that direct comparison to Dastiari before. Yeah. And, um, uh... Jesus Christ. It really does put Porter in perspective, doesn't it? It's really bad. It's yeah. really, really bad. <laughs> really bad. Um, but don't worry, Zach. Um, he obviously has faced severe consequences um, being, yes. like, resigning Continuing from to be one a of member the of most, parliament yeah, yeah. and earning a very healthy six-figure salary. Yeah. Yep. No, and that, this is the message that 
we need to send to all politicians accepting anonymous dollar cash donations. donations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You will continue to keep your job just without a slightly more fancy title. Yep. Uh, it's really fucked. And like, I don't know, I'm not trying to sing the praises of the Labour Party, but Sam Dastiari left Parliament because of this $5,000 thing, which was fucked and, you know, good. Yeah. But Christian Porter, and like, Scott Morrison has been like, well, he's stepped down from the ministry. That's the end of the question. It's like, no, he was actually, there's still the million still dollars needs to be there. dealt with here. Yeah. <laughs> Quite aside from the sexual assault and the defamation case and all of the, bo- like, the, the thing, like, there's still this million dollar question mark out there. No, 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 but don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, everyone. Um, if you're feeling sorry for Christian Porter, um, Barnaby Joyce said this. He'll have a bit of time on his hands, but, you know, you can use it effectively, and I'm sure he will. Uh, if he does it effectively, I believe he should be given another chance at some future time in a senior role. So, Don't worry, we'll be seeing more of him soon. Up. And constantly. Uh, in happier news, uh, we had an earthquake in southeastern Australia. I literally didn't notice it. Did you notice it, Zach? Yeah, I felt it. I was on the toilet. All right. Um, and then the whole house started shaking and I had to jump up and sort of comically Mr. Bean style hastily redack myself and run out into the house and make sure that everything was okay. And then, uh, yeah, everyone on my street sort of came outside and was like, oh, hello. Nice to meet you, neighbor, for the first time. Yeah, um, is there some kind of major disaster we should be worried about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was on a busy road looking at my phone, uh, waiting for a coffee order, and then the barista ran out and was like, we just had an earthquake. And I was like, I guess maybe I thought a bus went by behind me, but I think maybe I just made that up afterwards. So, yeah, no. um, but there's been some good memes about the uh, the earthquake. But, you know, it's... I, I said this to you the other day, Zach, but it, it's like a Saudi orb situation. You know, with Trump, he touched the Saudi <laughs> orb, and it was meme fucking city for like 12 hours, and then he tweeted Kovfefe, and everyone forgot yeah. about the Saudi orb, and it was just... And now no Kovfefe one remembers. Kovfefe was a real um, news cycle director. Yeah, you know? yeah. Epoch-defining... <laughs> like heavy gravitational meme mass. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, you know, the uh, the earthquake stuff just... Got, got blown out by the rest of the, the business that we'll be talking about in a sec. But there was some good posting, so we wanted to give a shout-out to um, Alex, who we'll also be hearing from later, um, for some magma posting. It's good, like, Sim City of Melbourne, but there's, like, a, a volcano going off on it. Um, <laughs> for those who don't know... Oh, I don't think uh, you set up the tub, Zach, but we're also the official podcast of the OzPol Shit Posting Facebook group. That's right. Um, and Big Magma, uh, you know, the shadowy cabal of volcano people who control everything mm-hmm. mm. so, a, a, a hot topic in Ospol shit posting so if you want more yeah. magma posting you can head over there and also want to shout out jess uh who made a, a, a simpsons meme of you know it's the one where there's a hurricane going on and santa's little helper is going up to homer in the uh in the hammock and homer's going what is it boy fire earthquake trades uh, uh well <laughs> Yes, a bit of two of the three. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I'm sure there was fire happening somewhere. That's true. I did. Yeah. But yeah, of course, the big news this week was protests. Protests yeah. happening here in our hometown of Nam, a.k.a. Melbourne. Um, so, yeah. Why don't we just start off noon, get stuck in uh, with 
just a little bit of a kind of analysis-free recap, I guess, Great. of the I would events of the last week or so. I got you very know? overwhelmed on about day three and decided <laughs> it was too much, which is not yeah. the right approach for someone who has a weekly Australian politics news and meme show, but <laughs> luckily I've got you to take half of the story, so please, give me a recap. Yeah, I would love that. I, <laughs> I sort of directly channeled the majority of the like psychic damage of keeping up with this story. Yeah. Um, you know, like directly into my third eye this week. I've yeah. been plugged straight into the news machine and it's been basically horrible start to finish. But it has given me a lot of time to digest the takes. Man, maybe we should just hard left turn start doing a show about like obscure animes. You like it would still be yeah, kind I mean, of annoying to have to watch troubling. 30 hours of an anime about <laughs> cooking, um, but less troubling, yeah. Uh, uh, listeners, if you would be interested in that, let us know. <laughs> Please continue with the real life things. Yeah. I will. Let's. So yeah, let's lay a little bit of, I guess, chronological groundwork in terms of actually mm-hmm. what went down. So, last week, Friday, there were official, well, official-ish... CFMEU protests about the fact that the government had shut down tea rooms on mm-hmm. construction sites, mm-hmm. break rooms, basically, a little indoor space where you can get away from the dust and the cranes and the, you know, heavy machinery and noise and have a, you know, quiet tea and a bicky and um, discuss the new world order. So Spread the- some viruses, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, that's facetious. Work yes. sites should be safe. Everybody should have a yeah, place. Everyone- as- to, to safely take a break and eat their food. And this was, you know, setting up their little, like, break smoko station on yeah. the tram tracks and stopping traffic. I thought right. it was kind of a neat protest. Yeah, I'm into it. So that, that happened on Friday. Um, you know, and then you've got the first instance, basically, of the government imposing, state government imposing new restrictions on the construction industry and their response. Saturday... Last week, mm-hmm. there were the, the you know kind of uh, uh, the most recent in a long line of anti-lockdown general freedom rallies, mm-hmm. which um, basically got pretty hectic when like a hardcore of violent protesters decided to punch on with the cops, yep. and it was a fucking mess. And there was some absolutely buck wild footage of protesters breaking through police lines, which like mm. credit where it's due, and also horrific police brutality yeah, really there was awful. one one particular instance of um an elderly woman being thrown to the ground and then pepper sprayed in the face that um, was going around which was like super disturbing uh so that happened on saturday then monday this week was the event that kind of kicked off you know what would happen for the rest of the week which mm. was this protest outside the CFMEU headquarters here in victoria so we've mentioned this... cfmeu a couple times so far already just to be clear that's the construction forestry mining and maritime and energy energy and union <sighs> okay yeah thanks uh yeah and they're <laughs> a big amalgamated union of all of those different things and they're very powerful uh in terms of unions yeah, yeah. Relative to other unions, they're 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 powerful. I heard them described by um, one journo as uh, the hardest and tightest union machine in the country, which I think is a good 
um, summation. It also sums up their vibe, which is sort of uh, big swinging dick macho energy, um, yeah. as opposed to like community solidarity energy. Big we'll get into that season later. two vibes, but continue. Yeah. So, as I mentioned, the, the state government had just imposed this uh, new restriction, closing down tea rooms or break rooms on construction sites, but it also announced was that vaccination was going to be made mandatory for construction sites mm-hmm. uh, a week. Uh, after the government announced it. So basically, construction workers who weren't vaccinated had a week to go and get their first dose before they'd be allowed to work again. Now, we get into, you know, the wisdom of this decision uh, a little bit later on, but one way or the other, uh, you know, several construction workers showed up at the headquarters of the CFMEU in Melbourne to protest against this. Uh, Now... CFMEU construction workers and non-CFMEU construction workers were not the only people present Mm -hmm. uh, and also were not the only people encouraging other people to come down to this protest. As I understand it, it did start basically as, you know, an industry protest. They were sort of angry at the CFMEU for, you know, they perceived that the CFMEU leadership hadn't pushed back hard enough Mm -hmm. against Mm -hmm. the vaccine mandate within the construction industry. but, you know, very soon, many right-wing agitators, known right-wing agitators, were observed in the crowd. Avi Yamini uh, is a very recognizable yep. one. Bunnings who was Karen. there. Bunnings Karen was there. People were chanting Avi's name, that kind of thing. Anyway, this protest outside the C- CFMU pro- uh, headquarters turns violent. Bottles and cans are thrown at uh, John Setker and other union officials. The wind- The doors get smashed. Eventually, uh, the cops come in and kind of break things up. But the scene has been set for a protest movement that started as, you know, uh, a a core of some people from the construction industry, both union and non-union, plus a whole bunch of other general right-wing, anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine agitators, some of whom we can definitely say were wearing fake high-vis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw a photo um, the day after this of somebody walking. Someone, uh, someone had left a big plastic bag packed with fresh high vis outside of salvos. It was like, and you know, and people were observed like changing into high vis on the way to this protest and stuff. So we know that there was a mix of people there. They were not all construction workers. They were not all union, but they weren't all fascists either. Mm-hmm. It's a mix. So at the end of the, the end of this, you know, big violent incident at the CFMEU headquarters, the state government announces a two-week shutdown of the construction right. industry. Which, as you can imagine, pours a huge big barrel of water right onto this fire, cooling it down, and then nothing else. Wait happened. a minute, that label doesn't say water. That says <laughs> jet fuel. What? Oh, but it said inflammable. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they announced. Uh, a two a two week shutdown of the entire construction industry is announced by the state government basically as a punishment, which mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> cool cool for the state government to be. Sorry, this is analysis free. Analysis free. Just recap. A very neutral we'll get to the sarcasm from in a the state government. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the next day, the protests basically explode in size, and again, we've got a, a huge diversity of people at these protests. Yep. There are definitely lots and lots of genuine construction industry workers there. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're talking people down from, you know, individual tradies to people who like run trucking businesses and these kinds of things like huge diversity of people. But then a a much larger contingent than the Monday of right wing agitators, people marching behind 
sovereign citizen red ensign flags. Yeah, yeah. Like, n- yeah, like Nazi known uh, tattoos. Um... Well, those are it's a bikey gang. Oh, of course. Sorry, bikies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Silly. So bikies are there, but also like you know, again, Nazis We're... and bikies both can be and are Tradies. members of unions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, and yeah, shit really, really kicks off on Tuesday. So the protest, uh, which is basically leaderless, although it has been fanned on by several identifiable individuals who we can get to later, but the protests grow, they make their way through the city and eventually end up on a major freeway on the the Westgate Bridge over Melbourne. Mm. They sing songs, there's a lot of drinking and, you know, celebratory atmosphere, which like, you know... I don't hate that for a protest. I yeah. just wish that it also didn't have a bunch of fucking fascists in it. But that's, yeah. You know. Anyway, the, again, violence breaks out between some of the protesters and cops. Cops brutally put down the the protest. And on, on Tuesday, they bring out the port team, the public order response team, which is the you know the riot, riot cops, cops here in Victoria, who have a bunch of shiny new toys that they're using. Um, some of the weapons that have been deployed against protesters include rubber pellets, which I tried to figure out if they're different from rubber bullets right. in that they are, whether they, um, you know, are metal coated, uh, are metal with rubber coating, or if they are just rubber. Sure. I don't know why that, you know, the language differentiation is there between pellets and bullets. Maybe that's why I haven't been able to confirm that. But also, uh, pepper, um, pepper rounds, yep. uh, gas grenades, like all sorts uh, of really- like- flash grenades as well and shit, yeah right? so yeah. they have these like they have these uh crowd dispersal grenades um which i can't remember exactly what they're called but they yeah they're like flashbangs but they also shoot out rubber pellets rubber. as well or pepper balls even yeah 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 um and, and also this the, big truck they have yeah, some the, fancy truck that then a yeah the small bear wire got caught on it <laughs> and they had to get it like uh oh i didn't hear out. about that yeah it it like got caught on a piece of wire under the cart and they were like we had to stop moving it and get in a flatbed to ship it out again um yeah <laughs> but i bet Very it funny. felt really really good when they were riding around that 10 that minutes armored, cruising up armored yep. car, yeah with like 20 dudes hanging up the side like fuck yeah i feel like i'm in the middle east fucking cooked anyway so Awful. yeah tuesday the protests get big the cops shut it down get a lot you know national media attention wednesday Protests continue. They're not quite as big, I don't think. Um, the protests, again, relatively leaderless, definitely not well organized at all, mm. end up at the Shrine of Remembrance, Anzac Day Memorial, mm-hmm. um, uh, in the city. And this kind of, yeah, puts, a, I think, a lot of the public offside because, unlike me, for, you know, most people love to salute the diggers at the end of their driveway or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. People disrespecting our boys by pissing on the shrine and that kind of thing. Really good um, PR for yeah. this protest movement, as you can imagine. Thursday is pretty quiet. And Friday, again, is also pretty quiet because it's a public holiday here in uh, Victoria. Our favorite public holiday, the day before Grand Final Day, which is Ooh. normally Grand Final Parade Day. But since it's, it's lockdown, it was just... It's not. It's just a It's just holiday. the day before the Grand Final. <laughs> AFL yeah. Grand Final. Which... um. Go the doggies. doggies. Go the doggies. Come, doggies? Come, come go the doggies. doggies. Yeah, yeah. Go doggies. Yeah. Um, I don't know who they're playing dog- against or any of the names of the people on the team or the no. mechanism by which teams win 
this game, but I'm very much in favor of the doggies. <laughs> Friday again was uh, fairly quiet, but there was was a gathering, and they ended up in Northcote, a sort of um, inner northern suburb of Melbourne. Yeah, um, disturbing locals and just generally making a scene. And like you know, most people probably know what the tenor of these protests was like, but you know. It's fairly ugly scenes in many ways. Yeah, there's been a bunch more people reporting like them harassing vaccination sites, and I think several vac centers got shut down because of this. Yes, or harassing nurses and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, which is bad. Like, if really you don't want to get a vaccine, anger. that's not great. But don't go and attack people who no. do and like what don't the fuck? you know they, yeah they forced the shutdown of like a central cbd vaccination hub that was mostly serving homeless people yeah. like what the like literally Ugh. what are you doing whose fucking side do you think you're on this is ridiculous yeah. anyway before we jump into the rest of this discussion here uh we've got a potluck this week potluck where you bring the snacks i've got a couple of thoughts here from uh one of the hosts of our know, sister podcast, I guess you could call them, over, sure. no, over Not Good Enough. Uh, we've got some thoughts from Mitch, who uh, will be speaking, I'm sure, a bunch more about this um, on Not Good Enough this week, but also he wanted to share some thoughts with us. So let's listen to that. Hi, everyone. My name is Mitch, and I'm recording this potluck on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast Not Good Enough, and I'm the singer of Eye of the Enemy, if metal floats your boat. I want to talk about the Melbourne protests, especially the Tuesday one. I'm a proud unionist, activist, workplace organiser, and a privileged wanker with enough time to read Marxist theory. So while there's not a single part of these events that doesn't fascinate me, I want to focus on what these protests show progressives about the state of Australian unions, Australian activism and industrial actions, and the clearly missing cultural cachet unions once held. The last two years have made something pretty clear that despite the successful strikes we've seen at individual workplaces, Australian unions as a collective have squandered the last 24 months and people have started looking elsewhere for not only support, but for action. If there ever was a time for mass worker protests driven by the biggest unions done illegally and in solidarity across different industries, it would have been the last few years. But who was it that got angry workers on the streets five out of six days in a week? Who got people fired up enough to break through police lines and de-arrest each other? To shut down major highways? To march to the top of a bridge and sing horses by Daryl fucking Braithwaite? Anti-vax conspiracy theorists and neo-Nazis in group chats. The left can learn a lot from these protests, but only if we're willing to take a hard look at ourselves and ask why we allowed kooks and white nationalists to offer an alternative to union solidarity. Why haven't the unions been harnessing what is, in part, this genuinely revolutionary energy? People don't chant, you serve us, at cops without at least a morsel of political theory under their belt. We could learn new ways to empower the politically disengaged and misinformed and point them at the right targets, but we can't until we reckon with the fact that ostensibly left groups, political parties, the ACTU, academics and journalists and commentators, even activists, have ignored the issues bubbling up among the working class, not just in the last two years, but in the last 50 now, I can't cover everything I want to in a potluck, and this is just a small part of the larger conversations we need to be having. We can and should investigate these rallies broadly and ask how shithead cranks from the internet managed to mobilise as many energised people as they did. 
The people at these rallies are a mixed bag and a bunch of them can rot in hell. But some of them are feeling the exact same rage, indignation and fear that so many of you listening to this right now are also feeling. So why are they chanting about vaccinations and conspiracy theories? Why the fuck haven't we figured out a way to get everyone standing together against the right targets and for the right reasons? Yeah, thanks for that, Mitch. Um, We love getting potlucks. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear more of uh, Mitch's takes and also other interesting people who he does not good enough with, you can go and listen to their podcast. Um, But yeah, there was a a few good points in there. One that I just wanted to pick up on was about like, you know, the last couple of years would have been an amazing opportunity for solidarity between different unions or different sectors and stuff. And, you know, Zach, you and I have been talking a a lot over the course of the pandemic about, for example, early childhood educators and the education sector in general being just like absolutely abused um, by Mm. the government and deliberately having the expenses and dangers of the pandemic heaped on them. But like something that's come up a lot about these protests you know i think that there's been a lot of discussion about people who haven't been delineating the different groups or the different asks or the different days protests or whatever but you know people who um you know leftist progressives who are like well why do they need tea rooms nurses haven't had tea rooms for the last 18 months and like surely we need nurses in the pandemic more than construction workers and like and like that is bad for nurses. Yes, that is fucked. And maybe the CFMEU, sh- like, absolutely, the CFMEU should have stood up when that was announced and be like, no, you need to take care of these nurses. And, like, it, but the opposite is also true, right? Like, we shouldn't fall victim to classic Australian tall poppy syndrome where workers asking for safe and basic levels of comfort at their work sites um, or who are angry that their bosses and the state government are taking, you know, collect, giving them collective punishment with no notice. And like, we should be standing in solidarity with them. Ask, making those demands, even though other sectors are also being mistreated. Like, yeah, the world sucks and we should support anyone asking for better working conditions. Yeah, the idea of like, oh, how dare you ask for better conditions? Other industries have been completely shut down during the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. You should just be happy with the fact that you are allowed to work at all is a trash position. Yep. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we're talking that the the tea room protest is distinct from the anti-vaccine mandate slash anti-lockdown slash anti-vaccine slash pro-Nazi rallies that kind of developed over the following yeah. week. So you need to be careful about where you want to direct your solidarity, where you want to use empathy, yep. you know. And as Mitch says, there's a, you know, these protests are mixed bag, and a bunch of people and then can go to hell. And on that note, that might be a good point to transition into... Shitpost of the week. And this week it goes to Christopher, who did this fantastic little Photoshop yeah. of uh, a bunch of little Among Us characters in front um, of the CFMEU offices. They're called... Because Amoguses. Really? Um, Amogus? Like Among Us, but without an N. Amogus. Are they? Yeah. Is that what they're called? Okay, well, I will trust you on that. Yep. (laughs) 
a bunch of little Amoguses outside the CFMEU headquarters. If you don't know, Among Us is a game where you have to work out who are the imposters among you because there's dangerous individuals who wanted to eat the group from the inside out and destroy, turn people against one another uh, and destroy community. There's just one or two of them, but if we don't all work together, Mm. the ship's going to crash and we're Mm. all going to die. So I think the importance of like, um, you know, a a strong and explicit anti-fascist response to these protests is, is, is key. Yep. And, um, you know, (laughs) this meme is actually, it's like a really succinct and great, um, illustration of that you know mm-hmm. yes there were some you know th- yes there were a whole bunch of legitimate union cfmu members and other non-union construction workers at these protests yeah but we know that the, these rallies were in Process large part organized by people who have explicit neo-nazi sympathy specifically mm-hmm. here i'm talking about harrison mclean uh, you, the, the Guardian did a really interesting uh, profile on him this week, which I recommend going and reading. Maybe we'll put that in the show notes. But essentially, yeah, this is one of the guys who uh, is has very is very popular on Telegram, encouraged people to get down to the protests, and then, as Tom Tanneke has repeatedly stressed this week, takes absolutely no responsibility mm. for the safety organization or messaging of the protests mm. at all. And that many of the other people who, you know, the streamers who kind of... Uh, the the various live streamers who uh promote and popularize these protests likewise you know hands off in terms of responsibility claim that it's nothing to do with them but are very happy to take the views and the notoriety um from this so you know we see here again the kind of grifter syndrome of people yep. basically you know latching on to emergent movements for their own personal gain but also on this kind of meta level the like anti-lockdown, anti-vax movement trying to latch itself onto an existing legitimate social movement. Mm -hmm. And they've been trying for a while to find one. It didn't work with the truckies and it hasn't worked like with health workers either, but it ended up working with the CFMEU. And now this is where we can get into a little bit more detail about how we got here and who's responsible for this kicking off over the last Mm -hmm. little while. And I think we need to start with the CFMEU. Why was it that, you know, a CFMEU slash construction worker protest provided such a good uh, springboard? Yeah, fertile recruiting grounds for the, you know, for these conspiracy heads and Nazis. So I think, you know, one of the really, you need to start with the fact that the CFMEU at the very beginning of the pandemic got together with the Master Builders Association and they petitioned the the Victorian state government to keep the construction industry open as opposed Mm -hmm. to shutting it down like almost all other non-essential industries. Um, And Ben Schneiders went into a great, has a great piece in The Age this week, which I recommend that people read where he goes into detail about this. But, you know, he essentially says that there has been anti-vax pressure building within the construction industry for a long time. And... Um, I read a fantastic Facebook post by a CFMEU member called Zane Haydock earlier this week, which I wanted to read a quote from, which I think really sums up how the CFMEU lobbying to keep the construction industry open during the pandemic sent entirely the wrong message to their mm-hmm. member base. And here's the quote. If your paycheck is the union's top priority and the risk to yourself and the community of catching and spreading COVID is worth it, 
then there is a certain logic hmm. for the union's reactionary fringe that says the CFMEU should be part of the anti-lockdown and anti-vax protests. There is a certain logic in being disappointed, even angry, that having said your paycheck comes ahead of safety, the union isn't following through on that to the extent that hmm. it could. That having said it will defend your right to not get vaccinated, it then back down. So yep. I think it's a really great <clears throat> summation of how the CFMEU's attitude here mm. fanned the kind of flames of uh, legitimized people sentiment. not wanting to get vaccinated. Absolutely. Because they, I think that's such a good point being like, well, look, your paycheck's more important than safety. And then when they're being like, dude, we want to go to work still. And you're saying we have to get vaxxed. It's, yes, yeah. well, exactly. And this is, at, you know, uh, <laughs> at its heart, like an anti-union position to take, you know, safety on the job should mm. be the number one, mm -hmm. And has been for you know you know a long time or was for a long time the number one concern of construction industry unions. Uh, I've got another quote here from uh, an article in Red Flag, which I know, but uh, by Louise O'Shea. You know, I'm I, I, often pleasantly surprised by Red Flag articles. I got to say that it's a much higher quality content than it is like than its structural position in the world <laughs> deserves. Yeah, I think you, uh, I, I might agree with you on that. I think that their coverage of the protests this week has been fantastic. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, this is, this is from Louisa Shea in Red Flag. Uh, this, re this reflects the erosion of left-wing political traditions in one of the country's most militant unions. Genuine class consciousness is not about defending an industry or individual paychecks above all else. It is about standing up for the interests of the mm. class as a whole which requires an appreciation of the broader social contexts, which, you know, and she goes on to say, you know, this is an insult to the thousands of health workers and other essential workers who bear the brunt of such recklessness. Yeah. So the CFMEU from the start basically has undermined the idea of solidarity with workers outside their own industry or solidarity with society in general, instead, you know, putting their own commercial interests, you know, whether that be of individuals or, mm. you know, uh, construction companies, basically above the interests of the rest of the population. You know, I we talked about, um, well, you talked about Bob Hawke being a CIA informant in a bonus episode uh, a month or two ago. And you told the story about the, uh, the Frank Sinatra situation um, where mm. Sinatra was in Australia and had like, harassed sexually harassed a, a journalist yeah i think who was part of the union and so the media union got in touch with the other unions was like right why not fucking with sinatra or oh, we are fucking with sinatra i guess uh, <laughs> and so you know the baggage handlers wouldn't take his luggage and stuff because of yeah. something that happened to a union member of a different union in a yeah. uh, in a different industry and like that's fucking cool um and that's what we needed this whole time um and you're, you're right like yeah or, or, or louise o'shea is right that like there's getting a vaccine is solidarity and not getting yeah, sick absolutely. and spreading it is solidarity um yeah and, and like you know let, let's be clear here while that hasn't been demonstrated by the cfmeu or you know many of right. the leadership of many other unions it has been demonstrated by Plenty Australian of society people. at yeah. large, you know, yeah. we just passed fifty well, percent like... of yeah. Well, yeah, it, well, that's it. I mean, anti-vax and vaccine hesitant positions within oh. the construction industry, like you know, they they are high compared to other industries. They have the highest rate of vaccine hesitancy of any industry. Right, but. 
that still only represents about a third of construction workers who have said that they're unwilling or um, you know unsure about getting a vaccine. The other two thirds have either been vaxxed or are you know going to Planning get vaxxed. Yeah. So you know we're still talking about a minority of people here. You know, in general, vaccine hesitancy is down across mm. Australian society. Mm. About uh, it was like four or five months ago. The figure was about 19% vaccine hesitancy across Australia. Now right. it's down to about 9%. Wow. As you know, the effects of the virus become clearer and clearer. People are sick of being in lockdowns. Yeah. And the risks associated with the vaccine get debunked. And the negative effects of COVID become more and more fucking obvious. Mm. People are getting more vaccinated. So these people do represent just a vocal and really ugly minority opinion, mm. which doesn't mean that they're not dangerous there isn't of course, you know, potential yeah. for them to grow but you know from one perspective you could see this as the kind of final uh throes of uh this movement because lockdowns are set to end we now mm. do have you know a confirmation from uh, daniel andrews that lockdowns will end at 70 percent vaccination uh full vaccination of the total victorian population which is supposed to happen at the end of october so there's a you know there's been like a date set there's a path out of this you know, obviously things change, but I reckon that a fair amount of esteem is going to be taken out of this movement once lockdowns aren't around anymore. I mean, look, it's maybe not wise to make uh, predictions about that. But yeah, um, I mean, a lot of the urgency and sting will come out of it, and it's just going to be another fucking vaccine that everyone gets every year, like a flu shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My final kind of point on the CFMEU here is I, I wanted to read one more quote, and this one's from Ben Schneider's In the Age, that piece that I mentioned before. Under Mr. Secker, the CFMEU has left behind the strong class-based stance of its foreign leaders. Long-time left-wing activists complain that Mr. Secker has surrounded himself instead with a patronage network of shop stewards who are often related to him or, like him, from the Croatian community. Many are, in fact, fiercely anti-communist and right-wing, with their families having fled Tito's Yugoslavia. One Secker supporter attended a stewards meeting last year with a sticker on his car of a Croatian army division which fought alongside the Nazis in the 1940s. I've seen the photo with that sticker, it's fucked. Yeah. It looks like just a literal Nazi <laughs> soldier. So, you know, I, I think that basically the, the, the things that the CFMEU has done that have laid the groundwork for these protests, they, you know, and the CFMEU is not solely responsible for this. I mean, they only for represent sure. about 10% of construction workers in general. You know, unions, and this is part of what Mitch is getting at uh, in his potluck, is that union power has been on the wane for decades. Mm. But we've got here within the CFMEU, they refuse to take a strong stance on vaccinations. They're vacillated and, uh, you yeah. know, given oxygen to the anti-vaxxers within their organizations, some of whom are really high up and are really close to SECA. Mm. They've also, you know, like SECA clearly has overseen a slide rightwards within the yeah. CFMEU, where solidarity with other industries and with society at large has been thrown under the bus in order for him to, you know, to consolidate power. Aside from the fact that he sets a fucking terrible example as a flagrant misogynist yeah. who and an unrepentant domestic abuser, you know, and seeing the toxic masculine behavior uh, displayed by a number of the protesters across these, you know, the, the past week. I mean, you have to you have to ask the question, like, what kind of cultural example of is course. being set here? Yeah. So, you know, these are all things that can be combated. You can take a stance against fascists within your own union. Or domestic and these violence. Lessons 
perpetrators. And, domest and domestic violence, and you can take a stance on public health measures. And these yeah. are all things that can be broadened out to a societal or to to a societal level as well to give us some ideas about how this can be combated at a broader scale. You know, not just within the union movement, but more broadly. Now, I've got, you know, pages more notes here, way too much to go into, so I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff. But yep. will I, what I will do is summarize a couple of articles that I read uh, who, you know, suggest ways out of this. Um, so Zane Hayduk from the CFMEU says, until recently, seeing the numbers of infections being spread from construction sites, which, by the way, I didn't mention, but yeah, a whole bunch of real bad. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, infections in, uh, in Victoria have been connected back to construction sites. And there was one particularly bad site in Box Hill, I think it was over 200 people were infected. So it's like, what the hell? It's troubling. But yeah, until recently, seeing the numbers of infections being spread from construction sites, I supported the general idea of vaccinations not being mandatory. If that's the case and they aren't going to be mandatory, all unions, including the CFMEU, need to be part of a campaign to urge people to get vaccinated, mm -hmm. explain why it's important, and explain why people shouldn't be scared. That's not what I've seen from the CFMEU. This, coupled with the long-term depoliticization of the union, has left them exposed. I think that needs to be addressed and can't be swept under the rug. Regardless, what we saw today is part of an organized far-right campaign that is strategically targeting one of the biggest and strongest unions. It is seeking to build a base in other unions, too. This needs to be confronted urgently and vigorously. But yeah, so yep. some very obvious, you know, very obvious and you know, actionable things for the union movement itself to do. Um, Louise O'Shea again in Red Flag suggests more broadly a union-led response. She says it is positive that other unions, particularly health workers, have condemned the protests, mm. and there has been widespread derision towards participants. When and where possible, these sentiments must be turned into action as a matter of urgency, and the full power of the union movement mobilized to uphold the principles of solidarity and respect for human life. And there's been you've seen over the last week the campaign against racism and fascism starting yeah. this campaign, Don't Scab, Get the Jab, I think it's called. Yep. Where yeah, union members say, I'm pro union, pro vax, and anti fascist. That's the that's the energy we need to be carrying yeah, through the 100%. rest of this year. You know, we need to be associating unions with public health and safety <laughs> and not with fascism and mm. conspiracy theorists. It sounds obvious to say. Um, it's also worth noting this week that the ABC reported that the effective unemployment rate is exactly the same now as it was a year ago. A difference being that this time last year, 26% of the labor force was getting income support. And now it's 11%. So again, fighting for proper financial support for, you know, across society should be a key demand, you know, which is going to, yeah. and we've, we've said again and again, is going to take so much of the wind out of these protest movements when people 100%. are supported, you know, for sure. Yeah. And lastly here, one, one idea I wanted to touch on was from an article from Jeff Sparrow in Overland, who basically, um, you know, at a slightly more, um, this slightly, I guess, broader, higher level for the left imagines a community-led response to COVID as a solution. Mm. I'll read a quote from him. A radical response to COVID means the self-organization of working people in their unions, in their universities and schools, and in their communities. Such a response would unleash the extraordinary creativity of ordinary men and women to find new ways to keep each other safe. It would rest on employees deciding for themselves whether their industries could or should operate or close down. It would entail neighborhood groups providing mutual aid, it would refocus the entire economy on people's basic needs. 
and you see bits and pieces of this happening, mutual aid groups that sprung mm, up, mm -hmm. you know, in the wake of the pandemic, people offering to go and collect shopping for... Getting shut down by cops as well, but yeah. Also that. So, you know, and, and so, yeah, and th this is, you know, a slightly less direct and harder to picture sure. kind of response. Yeah. But, you know, like, basically he's making the argument that we can't rely on top-down state-led solutions mm. to to get us out of this because like i mean if you look at what the state government has done in response to these protests over the last week so they, they kind of alluded you know, to it but like every step that they've done has just been a knee-jerk reaction that has immediately made the situation worse yes yeah exactly so the, the first off the i mean the the first protest started because they shut down tea rooms right then they shut down the entire uh, and and then which as the we've said mandate. So we didn't, haven't really talked about it, but like there are a whole lot of other options like they could have set up outdoor marquees or like they could have been set up three break rooms and, you know, or they could have actually enforced the current restrictions that are in place that aren't being followed on construction sites, or they could have shut down the construction industry two years ago and put an effective amount of welfare in place or, you know, like, and that's really or, the big one for me. The, right. The, right. The, the, you know, <laughs> the, not caving to the industry in the first place and right. providing, you know, adequate support. Right. Boom. You know, <laughs> Pro problem problem, problem never solved. comes up, yeah. But, you know, it, yeah, every step they've taken this week has made things worse. The, yeah, the tea room is the vaccine mandate, the industry shut down, you know, and all while they giving the police down. basically free reign to do whatever the fuck they want. Yep. And the footage coming out of Melbourne this week has been absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah. Streets clogged end to end with riot cop cars cops driving straight through crowds cops in fucking full riot gear marching in phalanxes down the streets cops throwing people face first into the pavement pepper spraying people who are lying on the ground this shit is unfucking acceptable okay yeah. we cannot we we cannot let this shit stand this needs to be fought at every single turn and yes these protests are full of fuckheads some of whom are fucking Nazis. That like that's a fact of that's a fact of the matter. But we can't accept this kind of level of police violence yeah. being inflicted on protests. We just can't. Because it's going to be inflicted on us next time. Um I had just a couple of thoughts about this whole thing. As I said up top, I've sort of not been engaging with it a whole lot, but I had a few just little things that, mm. you know, it's super well developed and I'd really like our listeners' thoughts on it, honestly. So, you know, you can slide into our Discord or post about an Ospol shit posting or shoot us a message um, if you have thoughts about this. But one is like, Nazis clearly are doing a bunch of entryism for recruitment, right? Of like, trying to find groups that they can be involved with and they get involved and then they start talking to people about their thing and then they get them on board. And like, we've seen Nazi um, telegrams and stuff exploding uh, this week. Um, yeah. Well, um, Harrison McLean, one of the organizers of these protests right. has been very explicit about, we start them off with COVID, with COVID stuff. Yeah. Then we slowly shift them over to new world, new world order, order and Jewish question. And then finally Jews. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, this isn't a tactic that I see leftists engaging with, and I wonder why. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should necessarily, but, like, I think one of the reasons is that you need to have an intense amount of both hope and commitment. And I think a lot of leftists are lacking both of those, myself included. Mm. I have very little of either of those. Um, and there's no way I'm going to fucking become a tradie just for the chance to talk to six dudes about 
Karl Marx or whatever. Um, but, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Does that seem like a good idea? I'm not sure. I could, like, clearly it's working pretty well for the Nazis on some level. Um, yeah. Something we could we could think about. So listeners, if you have thoughts about that, let me know. It does seem dishonest. I think that's part of it, right? That there's this, like... Well, we don't want to be, like, tricking people into supporting the cause or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's part of it's going in with this ulterior motive as well. But it's about also, you know, the the fact that the right offers these fairly um, easy responses off the bat. Yeah. Where they're like, yeah, you get out in the street and smash some stuff. Right, right. Or it's Jews. Like- Which leads me to my second thing that I was going to say is that, you know, we've been very critical of the grifters and grifter adjacent people who've been getting people onto the streets essentially for the sake of then having good live streams later on, but then not taking any responsibility whatsoever for the the safety or organization of the march or the Mm. people there. And that's obviously really bad, but it made me think like, you know, they've got some really cool shit happening in terms of just like protest stuff right aside from i mean they shut down the fucking westgate right and (laughs) throwing a bottle of john setka is 10 points in my book you know like (laughs) um they de-arrested a whole lot of people after that push through the police line which Mm. it does seem like was probably a setup but like de-arresting is amazing and it doesn't happen Mm. at protest nearly enough and like i think that maybe you know i wouldn't suggest anyone commits any crimes obviously that would be illegal but you know if there's a big protest going on in a year or two when that's safe and there's not a pandemic you know and there's a bunch you you could get like three or four friends and team up and go and do something and like if there's a couple of other groups of four people going and doing something um that becomes extremely difficult to manage from a police point of view, de-arresting someone or breaking through police lines or whatever it is. Or like, who knows? Like what, it depends on what the point of the protest is. Right. But like small groups organizing autonomously within a larger body become extremely hard to notice or manage. And when there's 10 groups of five people, that's a lot more effective than one group of 50 people in in, in certain ways. So I don't know. I think there's something to be learned from the tactics that these people are employing, even though we should also not take them wholesale. Yeah, I I think there's, you know, finding some kind of healthy middle ground between the total chaos... um, of these protests and the like extremely buttoned down buttoned down and like compliant protests that many large left-wing demonstrations take. Yeah. yeah. I think there's, there's definitely fertile ground in there. I mean, one thing that does characterize these protests is that there, there's a hardcore of people who are going to these rallies in order to commit violence yeah. and fight with cops. And you don't want that. You don't want to actively kick off violence with the police. The police are always responsible for the violence that they commit hundred percent. Yep. But, you know, these people are going there deliberately to provoke them and get into it. That's not something that we should aspire to. But the, like, sure. you know, um, because, yeah, you know, people just get hurt. And like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, not, it's not an effective way of mounting opposition to, to the cops. For sure. But the uh, um, 
as you put it, kind of like having more autonomy within the protests and people making kind of like better informed decisions in smaller groups makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, so that segment only went twice as long as we planned. So why don't we move on now into our positivity corner? Positivity corner. That's right. Uh, Grimes and Elon Musk are maybe breaking up. <laughs> Wait, sorry, sorry. This is my no, and, Australian and, politics podcast. My, my mistake. No, the, the actual good news is that Azalea Banks just tweeted, now that Grimes and Apartheid Clyde have broken up, we can finally do that collab. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, and I can be enthusiastic about discovering that her first album was about Dune. Um, <laughs> which I haven't been able to up until now. No, but... um, uh. Maybe as a lead-in to this positivity corner, I, uh, we can shout out a piece of art that got posted in Ozpolshit posting um, this week by Imo Timo, who you can check out on Instagram at Imo Timo's Art. That's I M O T I M O S underscore Art. Put a link in the show notes. Um, and they do a bunch of cool art, uh, a lot of psychedelic stuff. Uh, wait, well, psychedelic, but yeah, it's cool. Um, but this one is. Uh, an abstract cartoon, I guess. It's uh, It's got Medicare up top in, you know, gold writing on a green background, like the Medicare logo. And at the bottom it says, brain and teeth not included. And um, in the middle is a person with no eyes and their... Uh, or, or top of head. And they're standing there holding a platter, and on the platter is a brain and their teeth. Is that, did I explain that okay? You would... <laughs> No, but um, I think that people probably get the picture. Yeah, go look at our. It's Facebook an illustration page. of the ideal Medicare recipient. Yes, somebody with no brains or teeth. Yes, perfect. Thank you, Zach. That's it has sweet. kind of David Firth salad fingers energy to me. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I looked at some of their other, uh, and, and I can see how this is sort of stylistically the same, but the other ones tend to be quite nice. Um, and it's hard to imagine this looking or like feeling nice. But anyway. Check um, out at Imotimos underscore art. Hell yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. Um, so, yes, mental health care and dental health care are not included in our public health care scheme. Um, but the, the, the positivity corner here, thematically related, is that Jordan Steele John um, has just been given the role of Green's health spokesperson. So he's a senator for Western Australia. Um, and... Uh, Roughly, this position means that if somehow the Greens got into government, he would be their health minister, right? So it, it's he's like their would-be minister for health. And he's the first federal health spokesperson for any party to have a physical disability. So that's pretty cool. It seems yeah. like that's a good sort of lived experience to have in the person who's looking after that sector. Um, yeah, and he's like got a long history of advocating for, you know, disability rights absolutely yeah um, and he does a bunch of amazing yeah. work with that yeah um and to kind of go along with this uh the greens have announced a new mental health care policy uh, or jordan Steele john in his new role has announced this new mental health policy and so they want to fund unlimited mental health care on medicare which is just oh god yes please um and so this is from their statement um, right now, a mental health care plan contributes $129.55 to the cost of your psychology appointment. But the Australian Psychological Society recommends that appointments are priced at $267. Ugh. 
That's a gap of $137.45, more than the subsidized portion of the appointment. At that rate, your 10 annual sessions with a psychologist cost you $1,374 out of pocket. That's the the 10 Medicare-funded sessions. Cost you more than a grand. And once your Medicare session cap is up, you're back to paying full price for a session. Um, And, you know, as someone who's been going to therapy for a long time, uh, and I'm going to need to be going for a lot longer... This is a real fucking nightmare. Um, and yeah, um, of course, during the pandemic, there's been a huge increase in people seeking mental health care. Um, it's about 400% according to some United States figures. Yeesh. Um, it's, I haven't been able to get exact ones. Um, but yeah, uh, I got this uh, graph here that says um, in the UK, uh, between uh, March 2020 and June 2020 was a doubling in adults reporting wow. depression in like a couple months. And then in the US between uh, the start of 2019 and the end of 2020, um, adults reporting symptoms of anxiety and depression went from 11% to 42%. So yeah, roughly 400% increase during the pandemic. Um, I have been trying to get help for disordered eating, which isn't covered by the NDIS for some reason. Um, And I literally cannot find a single person in Victoria I can book an appointment with. That's Um, fucked. Like... And that's, like, so common. Yeah, well... Disordered eating is such a... It's so common. The ABC reckons there's been a roughly... 25 to 50% increase in people seeking help for eating disorders, um, which is a big difference, right? Somewhere between a quarter and a half. That's a lot. But um, while uh, The Guardian says that there's been a 120% increase in wait time for services. So 50% more people seeking services, more than double the wait time. And like, yeah, I've got a referral to a psychiatrist who's just not taking patients and no one in the clinic is booking patients. And I can't even book for one in the future without a referral but the wait time is so long that the referrals will i can't get a referral that lasts long enough that i can book a session anyway jesus christ we desperately need mental health care to be on medicare and yes you know this is just another fucking example of the government not doing something that would help them a lot like surely they would get more votes and more gdp or whatever they want if all of their citizens aren't like really Think about unwell. All the GDP you could have. Like literally, you don't even have to have any compassion. You could just be greedy and still realize that this is a good idea. Um so yeah, just on, you know, the political angle the Greens at this. On current polling, a power sharing parliament is the most likely outcome of the coming election. Um the Greens have already announced their tycoon tax plan that will be pushed in balance of power negotiations to help raise revenue. But the free mental health care plan is the first key expenditure policy announced by our party. So they're saying, oh, they also point out that we just spent like $52 billion on nuclear subs that we won't get for decades. So like maybe we could spend $1 billion on mental health care. But yeah, the Greens seem to think that, they, well, this statement says that they think they're going to get a power sharing agreement in parliament. Which is mm. unlikely, as far as I am concerned. That seems optimistic. Um, it's definitely but not what the people who they plan to share power with want. I reckon Labour would prefer to give power sharing to the Libs 
or Pauline Hansen than the Greens. But, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to being wrong about that. And hopefully Jordan Stills John's policy will, will get put in. So there you it's go. It's a good policy. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to move on to our First Nations story. Uh, so before I begin, I'm just going to give a content warning for names of people who have died. Um, we've got a couple of stories here. The first one is a nice one, but um, I think does involve the descriptions of some people who have died. Um, and then our other two stories are going to involve um, people who have died in police custody um, or yeah, at the hands of police. So if you want to skip those, we'll put time codes in the show notes and you can skip past to the next story. Um, but yeah, first up, we have a potluck from Alex. Um, this is about a First Nations photography exhibit called Viewpoints, which is at the State Library of Queensland, which is um, challenging the white gaze and colonial photography. Um, so, Alex, why didn't we get that potluck? Hello, Snack Potters. This is Alex, and I'm recording a little potluck here from Waveroo Country. Noon showed me this article and asked what I thought. I have a background in art education and I've tried to invest a lot of energy into learning about and then teaching or writing about First Nations artists and art histories. Although importantly, I acknowledge that I'm not Aboriginal and I want to be very careful about not speaking for or over First Nations peoples. So the article is a profile or review of a new exhibition called Viewpoints at the State Library of Queensland that features the work of three First Nations photographers, Naomi Hobson, Michael Aird and Joanna Drysons. And these are contrasted against the selection of historical photographs of Aboriginal people selected by Batchalo curator Georgia Walsh. I'm not going to talk much about the actual exhibition, but I'd encourage listeners to have a look, and I particularly like Naomi Hobson's works in this show. But I find this contrast between the historical and contemporary photographs very interesting. So listeners might be aware of these kinds of anthropological photographs of First Nations people, and these are not just limited to Australia. But what you might not have thought about is that these photographs were made by white people through an extremely colonial lens, and the visual language of these images really reflects those dominant primitivist attitudes of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and were specifically posed to conform to the idea of what an authentic Indigenous person looked like. I'll quote curator Georgia Walsh from the article, who says, an Indigenous person might have walked into a studio in their work clothes and been told to undress and put on a grass skirt instead, end quote. In some cases, uh, subjects were asked to disrobe entirely and, for example, expose their breasts for the photograph. So I want to quickly mention two important photographic works from the 90s that also address this. Batjala Woman is a series of of self-portraits by Batjala artist Fiona Foley, where she recreates one of these historical photographs of an unnamed Batjala woman from Fraser Island, posing shirtless with traditional items like a woven bag and beaded necklace. Um, And essentially she's reclaiming this anthropological image and its visual language and bringing it back to a First Nations ownership. Sexy and Dangerous is an early work by Wiradjuri artist Brooke Andrew that appropriates or reproduces an image of a young man styled as a traditional warrior, but the artist Brooke Andrew has colorized the image, making it very vivid, and added the text Sexy and Dangerous uh, across the chest, again to reclaim these colonial images and bring them back to an Aboriginal voice or ownership. 
So to bring it back around to this exhibition, I think it's a really powerful curatorial decision to have audiences first view these colonial images made of First Nations people through this primitivist lens before entering the exhibition to see contemporary photographs of everyday life for First Nations people made by and for First Nations people and made for First Nations audiences. And I do think this is reflective of a broader trend in the Australian art world at the moment, at least from public institutions like the State Library of Queensland, to really centre First Nations artists, voices, curators in their programming. So do check out this exhibition Viewpoints and maybe some of Fiona Foley and Brooke Andrews' works as well. Keep on snacking in the art world. Crunch, crunch. Thanks for that one, Alex. Thanks for that, Alex. Yeah, and we'll uh, put a link to Viewpoints, the website, in the show notes so you can go check it out. Um, I don't know if all of the photographs are visible, uh, are viewable there, but uh, quite a few of them are. Um, mm. Yeah. And the Guardian article about the uh, with you know which does interview the the curator is also really interesting. Mm. Um, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Alex's. Uh, discussion of the of the exhibition is is fantastic and you know art has such power images Mm. have such power they really inform so much of our perspectives of how we see the world and you know and, and and often you know historical documents especially primary historical documents we kind of just don't question them we take them at face value um and it's so important to interrogate what kinds of messages we've, we've absorbed mm. unconsciously or continue to give credence to. Um, and what better way to do that than um, by, you know, by taking in these alternate stories and histories being presented by Indigenous artists to combat those colonial narratives. Mm. Really, really interesting, really exciting um, exhibition. And um, thank you so much, Alex, for, for giving us your thoughts on that as well. All right, so now we're going to move on to our next First Nations story. And again, um, this is going to involve the name uh, of someone who died in police custody. So if you don't want to hear that, um, this and the next story will both involve that. So we'll we'll put a link in the show notes and you can skip ahead a couple of minutes. Um, So this is some good news. Um, A bill to ban spit hoods has passed unanimously through South Australia's upper house and will now go to the lower house to be ratified, which presumably it will be. Um... And, uh, yeah, this legislation is being called Feller's Bill after Wayne Feller Morrison, who died in custody in 2016 after being put in a spit hood by cops and then knocked unconscious in the back of a police van, and then he died in in hospital some days later. Um, so the legislation says that a spit hood means a covering, however described, that is intended to be placed over a person's head to prevent the person from spitting on or biting another person. Um, and the legislation um, changes a bunch of acts so that any police, corrections employees, psychiatric workers, or training centre employees who are found to have used one of these sorts of uh, spit hoods or other coverings can get a maximum of two years jail. Mm. Um, spit hoods are illegal in the Northern Territory and now soon to be South Australia, but as far as I can tell, they're legal everywhere else in the country. Um, and, uh, the yeah, so more work to be done there. Um, and the coronial inquest into the death of Fella Morrison um, remains ongoing with the coroner expected to hear final submissions next week. Mm. Great result, um, though, for Fella's bill, um, yeah. for Fella Morrison's family. 
uh, have been doing so much organizing yeah. um, and lobbying around this, um, you know, mounted a huge petition to bounce Bithoods. So I yeah, read all a couple of interviews with um, some members of Latoya. Uh, yeah. yeah, one with Latoya and one I think also with his mother. I'm not 100% about that. Uh, I think it was someone else. I think it was his mum. And they were basically saying, like, yeah, this is good, but now, like, my son's name is synonymous with this torture device, and my son's memory is synonymous with this thing, and that that really fucking sucks, and that it's been five years they've been pushing for this change. Uh, Only just happened. But yeah, like, such good work Absolutely. from them. No, I mean, it's so tragic yeah. and heartbreaking, and they've done so much f- for the safety and well-being of others. As a result, it's incredible. Yeah, and, you know, much love and solidarity with them. Absolutely. Uh, and the well, there's one other um, update on on an, a coronial inquiry into a death in custody that we wanted to mention here, which is um, uh, the 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 inquiry into the death of Raymond Noel Thomas, who we've discussed on the show before. He was. Uh, driving to go and buy some chocolate from the supermarket late at night when a cop decided that he looked suspicious and started chasing him, causing uh, Raymond Noel Thomas to crash and um, and die as a result. So here's a quote from The Guardian. A Victorian coroner has found that a high-speed police pursuit which resulted in the death of an Aboriginal man was not justified and called for the rules to change back to the more restrictive settings that were in place before the Burke Street tragedy. So mm. this coroner, John Ollie found that the pursuit was not justified. As we discussed on the show, it seemed very, very clear that Thomas was being pursued purely because he's, he's indigenous. Um, and yeah, as the that Guardian quote mentions, so back in 2015, Victoria Police's use of pursuits were heavily restricted based on recommendations from this same coroner, John Ollie, and reported pursuits after these restrictions were put in place dropped from 171 a month to wow. seven what the so hell? like massively massively reducing the number of police pursuits yep then in 2016 was the burke street right uh massacre when a man drove his car down a pedestrian mall in uh, melbourne cbd and there was a big media campaign against you know these restrictions against police chasing people in cars so the restrictions were lifted and then this happened with raymond Dog thomas so the coroner has re- recommended returning to those 2015 restrictions. And I just mm. want to finish off here reading a quote from his findings. The common thread in all pursuit fatalities is that dangerous driving is the consequence of police involvement. Therefore, were police not, were police not to get involved, the danger would not exist. Mm-hmm. And you can't put it any more clearly than that, can you? Yep. All right, we'll move on now to our last story and I'll, I'll give a content warning here for this story as well that we are going to be talking about uh well, well there'll be mentions of sexual harassment and assault and more generally about systemic misogyny um so a listener recently reached out to us um telling us about uh an experience of theirs Uh, that they wanted to share on the show. Um, They've asked us to share the story anonymously. Um, So I'm just going to read out what they sent in to us. um, And then afterwards, um, we will have a brief discussion about it. Here's the message we received. I'm writing this to SnackPod to give some more context to the conversation of the treatment of women in politics. 
I am an ALP lifer. I joined at 14. I am part of the left of the party and have been frustrated many a time by the regressive, racist, sexist elements of the party, but having many friends in the Greens, I knew their culture was even worse, and I believe wholly that the ALP is the better party to make change for good. I became a staffer and worked for a wonderful woman who shamelessly sought out women, LGBT folk, First Nations people, and people of colour, and actively hired them over white cis men. She said that the white men do it, they just do it quietly. So she was going to do it too, just not as quietly. She was retiring, and a job came up with an icon of the left of the Labour Party, unsurprisingly, a white man. I jumped at the chance. I was starstruck, I suppose, and internally explained away the concerning behaviours I witnessed. Screaming at staff, throwing his briefcase at a staffer, other MPs' mates making jokes with him about sex in front of me and his other young female staffer. A very senior figure once came to find him, and we said he was out for a walk, and the MP replied, Why is he exercising? He's getting pussy again now. I think about that every time I see that MP talking about the liberals' sexist culture on TV. He was, quote, one of the good ones. He was never sexually predatory to us. When I told my boss I was pregnant, I was made redundant. I went to my union. They said, we're so sorry, but the legislation governing staffers gave me no recourse except to argue it, except to argue it was pregnancy discrimination. I went to my faction. I was warned that to take it public would mean a public smear campaign against me and my skills, and I would end up shunned by the party and my friends would be given the choice, associate with her or be shunned. I debated many options. Should I leave the faction and go to the right? I couldn't do that within my values. Did I go to the media and have the smear campaign? My mental health couldn't take that. Did I leave the party? Ultimately, I decided against it because I didn't want a man to chase me away. I wanted to stay, to quietly work to make it the party it's supposed to be. But I continue to grapple with this decision. My friends within the party were horrified and have quietly spread the story, but it still grates on me. As I've watched the response to the brave disclosures of liberal staffers, I have continued to grapple with this. So much of the discrimination against women that has been discussed is about this har sexual harassment, which is rife. On multiple occasions, I was plied with alcohol and only saved from assault by a quote-unquote good man taking me away from the bad ones. But even the good men would frequently offer sex despite knowing I was in a monogamous relationship because we're in Canberra, no one will know. Being groped at work functions was so common, it seems like it's hardly worth commenting on. But it's so much deeper. Women are disposable. There are two kinds of staffers in the house. Young and eager, willing to work to death, and older and hardened by years of political gameplay. Women are almost only found in the first category. They come in, are used, abused, and discarded. The sexism is not just the harassment they face, it's the disregard of their skills, their disposability. We are often trotted out to walk next to a male poly to soften his image. What passes for a good man in politics is one who warns women about the bad men. Not one who speaks out, just one who quietly tells you, avoid him, or sees you with a bad man and comes over to pull you away for an urgent matter. That's what passes as a good man in that place. I worry that by putting my mental health first and not going completely public on this, that I am part of the problem. 
that while Brittany Higgins is out there speaking up, I am hiding and letting these things keep happening. And isn't that fucked up? I am the victim of this, but feel that by protecting myself from further harm, that I'm one of the perpetrators against the next woman. That's the culture we have in politics. I know of stories similar to mine and to Britney's in Labour, Liberal, Greens. The party doesn't matter. It's in all of them. Um, mm. It's horrible. See, so yeah, I mean, we, we want to obviously you know, express our gratitude to um, this listener for sharing their story with us and entrusting yeah, trusting us, with, um, it. us yeah. with their story. We really appreciate that. And, um, you know, really thank you for speaking up about this. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just last week, in fact, that a federal labor staffer was mm. charged with two counts of rape. Um, so, and, and I think it's been, you know, it, it's it's obviously very very true that this is a problem with politics it's not yeah. a problem with a single party yeah you know um this argument definitely can't be fought along partisan lines because it's endemic to political culture and all of the reporting that we've seen coming out over the last year or so uh or longer you know it says you know it tells us the same thing which is that the culture within australian politics and within parliament house in particular is so far behind the rest of society it's so far behind what would be considered acceptable in any other workplace mm. and as a society we still have so far to go yeah the fact that you are like not even keeping up with the mainstream of australian society shows that like you know the the halls of power in this country are so conservative are so regressive and as is made clear, you know, in this story, so deeply, deeply misogynist. Yeah. But, you know, I think one of the kind of central things that uh, this listener is getting at here is that it's very easy to fall into the pattern of following the kind of mainstream news cycle about this, which is that only the most extreme incidents mm. get media attention. Talking about sexual assault or, you know, or... or um, you know, extreme cases of sexual harassment. But of course, you know, misogyny is far yeah. more insidious, can be far subtler, and is, you know, systemic. And of course, uh, it's some of the same structural stuff that results in all of these different types of misogyny. I mean, no, it, 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 it's shitty people who result in misogyny. But, you know, um, this listener said about um, the lack of protections for parliamentary staffers and as we know, that's also been an issue for people getting justice in other cases about, mm. um, and yeah, Brittany Higgins has spoken about the parliamentary staff act that like excludes parliamentarians from normal hiring laws mm. and it, and it, and it excludes staffers from basic workplace protections. Right. Right, and and that those protections are undermined when it comes to discrimination against people who are pregnant, at, and all of this. You know, this person said that like being groped at events is so common, it hardly seems worth commenting yeah. on. But Isn't there's just no, shocking? there's no recourse so for awful. any of this, and like they go to the yeah. unions, unions are sorry, the law is on their side, and like yeah. they're the people who make the laws. Um, and I the the line that really struck me the most from this was when uh, the listener was talking about that, you know, that there are two kinds of political mm. stuff is you've got the young go-getters and the old hardened rusted on types and that almost no women make it to be 
that second kind because the force of the misogyny at keeping women out of positions of power and influence are so effective yeah. and it doesn't have to be as as the as as listener points out it doesn't have to be something uh in it it doesn't have to be an incident like sexual assault or right. s sexual harassment specifically it can be these things like yeah yes, getting being fired treating for like being, an object for being, yeah exactly uh you know these things that grind you down but mm. all but also these kinds of these subtler things like being fired for being pregnant and having no nobody to turn to yeah. you know within and that and being like threatened before you've even thought about telling anyone about it and like ugh. yeah the, the idea, there's this whole kind of structure set up ready to be set in motion to crush mm, anybody mm -hmm. who speaks out about this and it hangs over it clearly hangs over parliament and everybody who works there mm. all of the time is this this threat of your life will be ruined <laughs> If you try to do anything about this, mm. it's absolutely, absolutely shocking. So yeah, thank, thank you again so much to that listener yeah. for writing in and, um, and sharing your story. We, we really appreciate you, you sharing that with us and, and also for, for reminding us that, you know, th that misogyny takes many forms mm. and that all of it is, uh, Awful. needs mm. to be criticized yep. and, and dissected and discussed, not just, uh, the really high profile um, extreme incidents, which are often the ones that make it into the news. And so, yeah, I think it's a really good reminder and direction for us as, as a left-wing news show to, or, you know, to turn our view away specifically just from what the mainstream is reporting, mm. um, you know, and look at the bigger picture. Um, All right, Zach, should we get to the end of the show and finish up? Yeah, let's do that. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. Uh, we've been doing so reasonably about the tonal whiplash <laughs> tonal all episode, whiplash. and then just that outro. Yeah. Um. Well, thanks for listening to the show, everyone. Um. If you like it, you can follow us on social medias. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Um, you can follow us at, at Ozpol Snackpod on all of those things. Um, please leave us a review. As we said up top, we haven't had any new ones for a while, and we really appreciate them. This is the time when we'd be reading them out aloud right now, so if you wanted to hear us reading your silly jokes about our silly jokes, it, that, that could be a reality. Um, so please do that. Please share us. Um, much like the human centipede, we spread mostly by word of mouth, so if you want to tell people about <laughs> us... <laughs> That would be great. Uh, yeah, and of course, if you want to support us financially, you can do it over on Patreon. $1 a month gets you a monthly bonus episode plus access to the Discord, uh, or you can come and tell us how much you love our human centipede jokes. Yeah. Um, just while we're in the outro bit, got a little bit of the plug zone. Uh, just going to fly, dip into the plug zone. Uh, I say it, I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash noon plays games. Uh, but also this week, uh, my friend Zoe interviewed me for her radio show uh, over in Western Australia about being Jewish. Uh, so Ooh. if you want to listen to me ramble nice. for like 20, 30 minutes about, uh, I think there was a recording issue at her end. So she cut out all of her audio. I don't know if that was the plan the whole time, um, <laughs> but it's it's just me talking 
But I, like, respond to questions that aren't there. But anyway, if you want to hear me talking about Jewish shit for, like, half an hour, just give me a call. Or I'll put a, <laughs> a link in the show notes and you can listen to that interview. Now it's time for a pub game. How's Bagel been this week? He's been pretty good. We had a couple of difficult walks. Um, there's just been some Happens fucking incidents. Yesterday was sort of the, the cherry on this recent difficult walk Sunday, which was that some guy with a dog or two dogs walked over to us and was like, Hey, Hey mate. And I was like, sorry, no. Nah. And I was out walking with my housemate. So I dragged bagel off while she went to talk to him. Cause he clearly was like, no, I need to talk to you about something. Um, and bagel was getting very distressed about the housemate going and being near someone else and mm. two dogs. Anyway, it turns out he only has one dog. That other dog was just there, and he was like, do you have any fucking idea about this dog? But <laughs> that dog, who didn't have an owner, followed us for like three blocks barking at Bagel. Oh, jeez. Um, oh, eventually, my housemate went and got it, and I went home, and Bagel screamed a lot, and we found the owner. It's all fine. Oh, it, it, it got collected. It was okay, but Bagel That's was good. very, very distressed. Um, that is a rough one. On the plus side, though, you know, listeners, uh, you, you a couple weeks ago we had lewis on the show um to talk about afghanistan uh, and other things and uh lewis drove me out to adopt bagel uh many years ago when i first picked him up and as a result he is bagel's number one person in the world like possibly <laughs> excluding me like maybe i sneak in for number one but like he loves lewis unconditionally and it's That's really so cute. cute seeing them be friends bagel just like is trying to sit and be a good boy and is trying to wag and is trying he to fall over so, so he can get a belly pat and he's trying to run around he's trying to lick him on the face all at the same time it's very sweet mr it's nice that you have friends hey yeah very cute what's dumpy been doing i i got a bit of a horror update midweek from you oh the multiple vomits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah the dante special yeah, he vomited on the couch and then on the carpet twice. Right. Uh, and the uh, the vomit on the couch is a, a futon, relatively new futon that we just bought. Right. And he vomited on top of a blanket. The vomit went through the blanket. The vomit then went through the mattress cover on the futon. Then the vomit went through the futon and came out the other side of the futon, vomit juice. So, <laughs> effectively making a vomit futon sandwich. Um, I need to put a little then... content warning for this segment. A lot of, <laughs> I don't even have a thing about it. I'm getting a bit messed up. It's oh, yes, it was, oh, that's it was, bad. It was fucked up, and it was like it was going down and like basically seeing one little patch of vomit on top of a blanket. I was like, look, it's not ideal. A little vomit. It's fine. Then I cleaned that up, and then I realized there were there was two other vomits on the cup, and I was like, fuck. And then I took, lifted the blanket up and realized it had gone through the whole mattress. And I was like, oh my God, there are so many levels to this. So it was like, yeah, cumulative hours of both me and Holly's life cleaning up this mess and sorting it out. And then we had to let the futon like air out. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, la the lounge room was basically unusable for a couple of days. Classic Dante stuff. Great. <laughs> Meanwhile, Isn't he just cool went upstairs and was like, ah, oh, feels good to get it all out. Gonna have a nice a nap. nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good one, dogs. Otherwise, he's fine. He's been quite good on his walks this nice. week. That's good. Um, yeah, you know, the vomiting again—it's like it's really hard to know where it, like where it comes from. Often, it's just because he's eaten some grass. Yep. Which, like, I asked the vet about it. Like, is there a reason he's eating grass? Some people on the internet say that dogs eat grass when there's something in their diet that they're not getting enough of nutritionally, and she's like, 
He just nah. likes eating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he, it, like, it's really hard to stop him snatching a gross bit of schmutz off the ground if he really wants to eat it, you know? There's only His so much you can do. radar for gross things is much better than yours. So there's just, like, on a yeah. one-to-one competition for finding the gross thing first, of course, he's got, he's got all the motivation, everything to gain and nothing to lose. 100%. Yeah. When it comes to finding gross stuff, Dante massively out-hits me. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. As as compared to, for example, birds, I got a, I've got a, an absolutely unbesmirched record. Re Dante getting birds, I got I I'm, I'm, I'm no hitter every time. Dante and birds it's never happened. One hundred Dante and gross stuff is different different event. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Well, okay, that, right. that'll probably do us for this week. Got Thanks, another listeners. really long one. It was. Thanks for sticking with us. Um. Yeah, boy, the protests, it's a lot of ins, a lot of outs, you mm. know? There's, like, there's so many different... Um, it's new shit coming to light. So many different factors going into it, and so many different weird things getting reflected on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, objects like if you've people. got thoughts or think there was anything major we didn't uh, hit on, we'd love yeah. to hear from you. Send us a potluck or, or an email, um, or hop in the Discord. Um. Yeah, I am the walrus, etc., etc. I'm the walrus. Keep on snacking in the free world, everybody. Crunch, crunch.